0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from ACAST. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link
1: in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Has the news got you unsettled and worried? Feeling uncomfortable with the absolute state of things? Well, one way to help that unnerving feeling of discomfort is by heading over to British-Boxers.com where they do knockout undies and nightwear and you'll be as snug as a bug in some very nice pants as you swear in despair at the television. Not only do British boxers have luxurious two-fold cotton on all of their clothes, but they're also a lovely ethical bunch who respect workers' rights, manufacture all their stuff with minimal waste, and, I mean, actually, they're almost too nice a bunch. It's ridiculous. Hasn't anyone dug up any dirt on them? Have they ever returned a library book back late or something? Wow, no, not even... Oh my goodness. Well, if you grab great garments from BritishBoxers.com, then use the code PARPOLBRO15 at the checkout, and you'll get a swanky 15% off whatever you buy, which will hopefully make you feel less sad that you're just not as good as them. Sorry, I'm just projecting now. BritishHyphenBoxers.com. They must have once done swears at someone's parking. No, not even that. Bonkers. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that has been a proud member of the Anti-Growth Coalition since episode one, where has continued to gain no listeners at all. I'm Tina Duyeb and this week, as the Prime Minister and lobotomised Helga from Hey Arnold, Liz Truss, plans to launch a charm offensive to appeal to her own Conservative MPs, many have mocked her as she has all the warmth of a fart lingering in a crypt. But look, listen, to woo a bunch of personality-free cold-blooded Scrooges, you have to be one as well, and any actual signs of warmth would just make them nervous they were talking to someone who'd had to use skills to get through life. It is an unfortunate and very concerning state of affairs when the week's politics news begins with someone making as careless and as tasteless a comment as Scottish First Minister and retired EDF mascot Zingy the Flame, Nicola Sturgeon, who said during a live BBC interview that she detests the Tories. I mean, wow. Wow. That is certainly not something I'd say on this podcast, and not just because I'm nowhere near as verbose, so I wouldn't have used "detest" I'd have gone for, I fucking hate the Tories, and possibly then throwing in a, and I wish they'd all get in the shit-filled sea they're responsible for. I mean, I wouldn't say it, You know, because as Minister for Equalities, who works hard to make sure his ethics are as bald as his stupid head, Nadim Zawahi said, it is divisive language. Yes, it is. In the same way that vampires might say you keeping extra garlic at home to stop them from eating your neck is divisive. Or mosquitoes might say that repellent means that they can't give you dengue fever and that is divisive. You know, it does just create unnecessary animosity about the enemy of the people. Um, sorry, I mean government. Of course, Nadim he would never say such divisive things. And when, for example, in 2019, he suggested the then-leader of the Labour Party and scourer sponge, Jeremy Corbyn, might shoot rich people, um, I guess that he was just trying to show what great policies the opposition had. And looking back, actually, I think it definitely would have gained them more votes if they'd just put that in the manifesto. Whereas now, if like Nicola Sturgeon, you say you detest the Tories, it is tantamount to punching down, isn't it? It's just jumping on that bandwagon. Oh, sure, it's easy for you to say you think they're the worst bunch to ever be in charge of anything, including that time a dog stole a tractor, now that everyone thinks that. You're basically punching down, pal. I mean, with many of the polls showing the Conservatives are 30 points below Labour, they're looking set to become almost extinct at any minute. And then who's laughing? Well, you know, apart from all of us, everyone. Well... Also being very curious that if they did become a minority, would that now mean the Tories would have to work out how to wage a campaign of hate against themselves? It's not like Liz Truss, uh, who can only unify people with every word she says, which based on her speech at the end of the Conservative conference last week are just pie and growth, usually said together like she's part of a secret cabal of sourdough enthusiasts, which I suppose might explain to her appealing to the public like a jar of fothing yeast does. That speech that she made highlighted the threats the country faces from what Liz Truss calls the anti-growth coalition. Yes, those bastards who I presume are responsible for me still only being five foot five. Who are these people who are working together to stop growth? Well, luckily, the prime minister has a list. This anti-growth coalition is made up of Labour, I mean ofs, the Lib Dems, ofs, the SNP, even though they're all about independence and not coalitions at all, the militant unions, the vested interests dressed up as think tanks, which hang on, are they vests or tanks? that's weird why would you buy one that's dressed up as another maybe it's good in the winter then there's The Talking Heads um, The Modern Lovers all of David Byrne's other musical projects Brian Eno The Ramones Roxy Music and uh, I think that list goes on Um, The Brexit Deniers The Brexit Fishnets The Brexit Opaques and Brexit Compassion and Support um, Extinction Rebellion Your Neighbour Three Doors Down The Dry Cleaners That Guy Who's Always Outside Sainsbury's Playing on the Traffic Cone Four of the presenters of The One Show Basil Brush and Some Chinchillas I mean basically it's everyone, and I'm starting to feel left out. Although maybe I am part of it. I've definitely used cream to stop a Veruca, so that makes me anti-growth, right? Celebrity chef and owner of a face most like the rear end of a pet, Jamie Oliver, might also be part of the Anti-Growth League, but the government say they're yet to confirm. Possibly because he insists he's anti-obesity, but then he also waves desserts around, so it's very confusing, isn't it? Thing is, this lot, who aren't in power whatsoever and haven't been for 12 years, have all been using all the power they don't have to be against all the growth, and it's just not on right. I mean, without them not being in charge or having any policies, the Conservatives would have grown everything by now. We'd basically be living on a beanstalk that had a giant living on the top of it. But as Liz Trust said, this lot, and maybe Jamie Oliver, who knows, have been getting taxis from North London townhouses, even if they live elsewhere in the country, and going to BBC Studios, which are now largely in Manchester. So that is, that is quite a cost on Uber, actually. Are you sure they're not creating growth by fueling the transport industry, Liz? No? Sorry. Okay. And what they're doing when they get to these BBC Studios from their North London townhouses is they're dismissing anyone challenging the status quo from broadcast to podcast. Oh, shit, it is me. Oh, great. Do I get a badge? And they're all, as in the majority of the country except the Conservatives, that Liz has kindly united together, they're all against the growth the Tories are doing. Which I think, looking at it, is of inflation, national and personal debt, poverty, rich people's offshore bank accounts, and people who say out loud, you can't grow a pie, you fucking idiot. What's weird about this anti-growth coalition is it just keeps growing as well. I mean, there were people from it at the Conservative conference, for Christ's sake. No, I don't mean the two women from Greenpeace who brilliantly interrupted Liz Truss's speech with a banner saying, who voted for this, thereby doing proper work in tackling toxic emissions by briefly stopping the Prime Minister from talking. No, I don't mean them because obviously they're part of the anti-growth movement. I mean... They're actively against the growth of pollution and climate change, which is so unhelpful to the Conservative plans for growth and plans and pies. I mean, Liz Truss said they're going to deliver on their plans for net zero by opening more gas fields in the North Sea, because nothing is going to cause a stop in emissions, quite like killing off all of humanity as quickly as possible. No, the secret members of the anti-growth coalition at the conference were, get this, right? All the Tory MPs there who also think Liz Truss is the worst thing to happen to the planet since whenever Kanye West last tweeted. Former Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, a man who increasingly looks like he's had prosthetics to play a nearly dead version of himself, he revealed that he had recorded 237 conversations with colleagues at the conference on their doubts about Liz Truss. And what that really shows you is that you should never ever talk to Grant Shapps as the fucking creep is recording it. Fucking creep. All the old guard have come out against the current lot, from former Home Secretary and the only person who starts their kids' bedtime stories by insisting they're sitting uncomfortably, Pretty Patel, who said the government must stop going for populist measures. I mean, wow, but yeah, I guess Patel's just defending her own brand and won't let anyone else have it. Then former culture secretary and woman that boxes of frogs uses an analogy for bonkers, Nadine Dorries, said this government's actions will cause children to starve. You know, because up until the second Liz Trust became leader, kids across the UK were eating brilliantly and that Marcus Rashford was just a feeder who didn't want children to be healthy enough to take his job. That's what it must have been. And then Michael Gove, with his face like he forgot to wear a hazmat suit and he checked on the reactor, he has been complaining so much that Liz Truss's allies told the press he was a sadist, which the PM spokesperson then had to deny in Parliament. Good. I mean, he's not a sadist, is he? He's a spineless sadist, and it's important that we use the correct terms. Otherwise, how will we distinguish him from all the other sadists in the Tory party? Like, for example, Home Secretary and Nazi Squidward, Suella Braverman, who is in a totally different league of tyrannical sadism. She said that her dream is to see a flight take asylum seekers to Rwanda by Christmas. Now, I'm not big on dream interpretation, but having looked it up, you know, what all the symbols mean, what all the, the, the things that you think of mean. If that is what your nighttime subconscious is playing to you, then you can expect that in life you face the risk of being dragged back to hell at any point soon. Imagine that being your dream, your life goal. It's depressing enough she's the Home Secretary, but thank fuck she isn't a sick kid, or the Make-A-Wish Foundation would have a really awkward day ahead of them. So Ella has expressed so many grim views in the past week, it's like someone put the Daily Mail comments section on sprinkler mode. She wished the government had kept the cut to the 45p tax rate and accused those who were against it of staging a coup, which isn't true, as they all hate the arts. If it was a coup, I reckon they did it without any thought for blocking whatsoever. Braverman wants to ban international students from bringing over their loved ones with them, which does make sense, as how will they learn about British culture if they don't have a constant longing for something they need that's now only available in other countries? The Home Secretary said she wants Britain to train up its own fruit pickers rather than get people from abroad to do it. And yes, we are the best at cherry picking from a bunch of poor options. And Bravman would like to categorise cannabis as a Class A as it's a gateway drug, and that is true. It can lead to you being more relaxed and calmer about other stuff as well. And then how will you have unnecessary panics about pointless culture wars? She said this just as over in the US, American president and man whose eyes are trying to emulate the Homer Hedge meme, Joe Biden, he's pardoning thousands of people who were convicted for possession of marijuana. But I suppose we don't just want to copy the US, as otherwise our special relationship will become like one of friends again, which isn't very interesting, rather than two people who have to hang out occasionally because of circumstance and spend the whole time wishing the other was dead. Number 10 say there are no plans to make cannabis a Class A drug, and the opposition have been super quick to tackle Suella Bravman's comments about her dream of deporting people to Rwanda by Christmas. Yes, Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves, who styles herself entirely on Angelica Houston, in The Witches, she went full effective opposition mode by slamming the Home Secretary for her horrendous comments and saying it wasn't good enough, saying it was a terrible thing to say, and the government are not deporting people fast enough. Yeah, you tell them, Reeves. By Christmas, what are you on? A real caring Labour government for the people would send those desperately seeking safe asylum to a country known for human rights abuses by next week, you bloody slackers. Oh, finally, a proper alternative political force for the country. Phew. I think we'll be okay, everyone, as this lot really least 30 points ahead, so we'll be condemning people to death in no time, probably for once reading about cannabis in a book. The other member of Liz Truss's cabinet has been in the headlines this week is now former Minister for Trade Policy, Connor Burns, who has the appearance of a sunburnt bow bun. He was sacked from the front bench and had the whip removed for allegations of inappropriate behaviour at the Conservative conference. What would be considered inappropriate amongst a load of Tories? Did he accidentally say refugees are people too, or tip a member of staff generously? It's actually suggested that he put his hand on a young man's knee without consent, which I would have thought would be standard Conservative fare. I mean, that's basically a qualifying factor to have joined the last Prime Minister's Cabinet. Tories love doing stuff without your consent, like electing a new leader, or letting companies pour shit into the sea, or fracking in your garden. Still, Connor Burns has now been replaced by what if James Buckley was in a car accident, Greg Hans, who is the only other Conservative allowed to do the job of Minister for Trade Policy, and that's why he's done it three times since 2016. But I suppose he is very good at swapping in for someone else that's fucked up. So now Liz Truss is all about making the Conservatives leave the anti-growth coalition and rejoin her actually anti-growth party by pushing some real anti-growth their way to show them who does it properly. The Chancellor and Goggles the Muppet cosplayer Quasi Kwarteng has pushed forward his fiscal plan announcements to October 31st as that's the best day for those horrors to be unleashed and it'll no doubt be full of tricks and very few treats unless you're someone who's already bet again on shorting the pound as it descends into the underworld. It will mean, though, you can prepare some appropriate Halloween costumes. Perhaps you could think about going as a U-turn, the ghost of the pound, Mr Jekyll, because he's no longer a doctor thanks to the underfunding of the NHS that's left him stressed and unwell, or maybe any character from a slasher movie, as they'll definitely be expecting more cuts. Despite Calls to, it doesn't look like the government will raise benefits in line with inflation, because I presume that would cause growth of the economy and children as they eat, and, you know, this anti-growth lot would only get sad on a podcast and ruin it. And it's not time for divisive chat like that now, is it? This is the time to unify people and that's why Liz Truss has got to work hard to persuade not just her MPs but the country that we need to be united. And I reckon she will too. Just, you know, united against her as one big anti-growth coalition, desperately trying to make sure she doesn't flourish as Prime Minister for another day longer. And let's never let Jamie Oliver join us either or he'll just ruin it by waving around a trifle instead of eating it. In other news, Liz Truss travelled to Prague last week to meet with over 40 leaders of other European countries to find out how many people on the continent think she's a dickhead as well as here. Sorry, I mean to discuss Ukraine, but it totally wasn't like being in the EU at all. It was very, very different. It was the European political community beyond the EU, you see, and that's different as there's no way we'd get suckered into forming part of an EU army like in the EU, and instead they just discussed using all their might altogether to take part in the war in Ukraine, which is very different. While everyone else there was discussing the war-torn nation, Liz Truss never let those who are truly suffering fall from her agenda, and she had to spend time pleading with Europe for helps so we don't have a load of blackouts in the winter. Yes, since Brexit, we do indeed hold all the cards. It's just that now energy costs so much, we've had to use them to top up for October, and we'll be really fucked come January. Criminal barristers in England and Wales have ended their strike, accepting the offer of a 15% pay rise from the government, even though it's less than the 25% asked for. But I suppose if I was a lawyer having to deal with the Justice Secretary and what if Silvio from The Sopranos fucked a hedgehog, Brandon Lewis, I'd also do whatever I could just to reduce his sentences. And Liverpool has been selected to host the 2023 Eurovision Song Contest on Ukraine's behalf, which is great news for the city. And I reckon it'll be a UK winning year too, but only because the home country will ban all the other contenders from entering the country. Hello, hello. Uh, You might be able to hear that I'm a super croaky boy this week. Yeah, that's right. I'm all jazzy. I got my jazz voice. Um, My agent, sorry, daughter, kindly brought back a nasty cold from school this week that she suffered from for all of, I think, five minutes, and I and my wife have been ruined by since last Wednesday. Um, I swear that if there's a mathematical equation for my idea of hell, it's two ill parents plus one very active and totally not ill four-and-a-half-year-old stuck in a flat equals... Uh, it is that time of the year, though, isn't it? Um, uh, I've not got the COVID, thankfully, so I guess I got one of the other new ones. Um, if it's going around the school, I suppose uh, it's nice to know I'm on trend for once. Um, and I've also been doing my bit for the economy by supporting the manufacturing of LEMSIP and helping growth of, of phlegm, But it's, it's growth nonetheless. Are you in the anti-growth coalition? Do let me know. I mean, perhaps we should have local meetings or something, though I suppose it would go against the whole point of it if more and more people came along each time. Um I was so chuffed when Liz Truss mentioned the tyranny of podcasts and I really hope that when her government is brought down somewhere between the next 5 minutes and 2024 um that this podcast was at least in a very minute bit responsible. You know, maybe we were a slight kick to the shins. Uh, that's all I want. I'd be really Really proud of that. Uh, I've got absolutely nothing exciting to say this week because I've just been ill and complaining about it. Uh, one of the highlights, though, um, has been my agent having a meltdown when she found out there were only guide dogs and not guide cats, to the point where she screamed and wailed and then sulked under her duvet for ages. Um, I mean, it's always interesting. There's always that uh, site on um, Twitter there, uh, Didn't Happen of the Year Awards, where the fuck it is. It's always, like, have a go at people saying their kids said shit. That they genuinely... They genuinely get upset about these sorts of things. That is a 100% real thing my daughter got upset about. Now, it's times like that that I do worry on this show. I'm not dealing with the real issues that will affect her future, but instead silly things like climate change or the collapse of society. Maybe I should do an episode on why cats have been blocked from partaking in supportive roles. Um, You know, who am I kidding? Uh, It's because they'd lead their owners to lie under a car or wherever there was sunlight. It would be terrible chaos though still arguably less dangerous for people with disabilities than the DWP there we go he brought it back he brought it back um, otherwise thank you for listening to the show still even though it's a croaky week um, thanks to the Kofi and Patreon donations and all of that and if you have any ideas about what I should be doing on episode 300 of this show which is now only 13 weeks away please drop me a line otherwise like all birthdays I'll just pretend it isn't happening and forget to release an episode at all as I'll just be hiding and eating cake Right, on this week's show, um, I'm chatting to Mike Wright about all of the shit. So, you know, get on that one, don't you? Come on. Imagine
1: the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: With just the SNP one to go, conference season is pretty much done for 2022, which is bad news for pairs and great news for the rest of us, as no longer will we have to hear long-winded speeches that are sparse in detail, yet convey heavily what the years ahead will be like. I've often wondered if political conferences are like fashion shows whereby someone will walk down a catwalk dressed as a giant clamshell with a shoe on their head and their face painted in custard and then a year later an item will pop up in H&M that's yellow with shells on it and a hat will have a decorative shoelace. Party conferences, CMPs, spout how desperate they are to incarcerate anyone that speaks out of turn, how great it would be to have more war, or that they'd actually like to save the planet, and what that means is that in six months' time there'll be a motion to arrest anyone found drawing a moustache on a poster in a train station, a commemorative coin to remember Dad's army, and a call to make rubber ducks on 95% plastic only. Was this year any different? Was hearing Liz Truss on about pies again and Keir Starmer saying it's a Labour moment showing that the next year of politics uh, will be um, crusty and full of pregnant pauses? Or more, that it will continue to be led by vapid, useless twats who talk a lot of empty bullshit with fascist overtones and also undertones and middle tones? Is it the speeches we look at, though, or the words written about them by hacks? How many people were asleep in the audience? and the general response to the nation, or, well, lack of one. Well, this week I asked brilliant writer and dismantler of the news, Mick Wright, if he could give an overview of just where we are now. As well as engaging in regular forensic dissection of the output of political journalists, Mick manages to do it with an excellent sense of humour, and so I thought who better than him to explain which degree of screwed we still all are, and what, if any, indicators the tedium of conference season gave us. I've been meaning to get Mick on the podcast for ages, but, well, um, I kept forgetting because I'm stupid. So it was really good to finally have a chat. I should say that when we spoke, I was so full of a head and chest cold um, and I was several LEM sips deep. So I'm not entirely sure my questions... Makes sense. Um, I'm pretty sure at one point I just repeat back what Mick said to me as I've just thought of it. And it was a question, which is I mean, that is terrible interview skills. You can look forward to that bit. Um, However, he gave fantastic answers despite all that. So please ignore my snotty paracetamol interruptions. I had to edit out so many coughs. Um, Look, I hope you enjoy. Here is the brilliant Mick Wright. Hi, Mick. um, It's brilliant to have you on the show this week. Thanks for doing it. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's a joy. And, uh, you know, it, conference season is over. I thought it would be a good point to, to ask you what's, you know, how, well, firstly, did you enjoy it? How was conference season for you? Um, and, and how do you feel the British political landscape is looking like now? Normally, it's quite a good indicator once all the conferences are finished um, to kind of see where things are. Uh, do you think that's that's the case now? Did I enjoy
2: it? Uh <laughs>
0: Well, I, I mean, I asked that on purpose. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know.
2: I, I experienced conference season from my um from my bunker in Norfolk. I have been. I've been to well. I've been to Labour conference once in the past when I was a, a journalist, uh, a more mainstream journalist. But since they're not, uh, did I enjoy it? No, not at all. Um, I think. I think. Was it? You know. It's it, what's interesting is from my perspective as someone who spends most of their time trying to look at how the media is covering these events so I'm sort of like you know um, examining it th- th- through another level of gauze almost It's like well what are they looking at like it's what I'm seeing with my eyes and hearing with my ears. does it have any bearing on what the uh, the media is is reporting on these conferences And fundamentally I think what I, I get from it most times and this time especially, is, is the way that we kind of focus on the um, tone and um, presentational stuff rather than actually, you know, the content of what's been being said. So with the Labour conference, it was a lot about saying, oh, look, they're ready for government. And with the Tories, it's look, they're fighting with each other. Um, but actually, um, how much difference is there in terms of what they're saying they want to do to the country. So, you know, you have Suela Braverman saying that it's her dream uh, to uh, have a front page from the Telegraph showing people being sent to Rwanda. And then you have um, Rachel Reeves saying, the problem with this is they're not deporting enough people. And so you sort of go, well, actually, what are we going to get if we get a Labour government? Are we just going to get the same cruelty but more efficient? That's what I see from from this and I also see a shift in capital. So, you know, um, a reporting saying, oh, it's fantastic um that Labour's got way more business uh, interest in its conference and a lot more money from business coming in. That's a, a worry to me because it simply says to me, look, you know, British capital can see that Labour are going to be the next government. So time to pour a load of money into them to make sure their interests are um, you know, protected and reflected in them in the uh, policies of the next Labour government.
0: I I've only been to one. Uh Like party conference ever, which was at Labour in 2017. And I've got this distinct memory of meeting um, a guy in a queue to, I can't remember what event it was. And he was, must have been in his sort of 50s, 60s. And he was saying to me, This is so wonderful. I've never seen so many young people here. Normally it's just business stands for BAE and these awful people. And it's so dry and boring and and it's so vibrant and full of young people. It was the best thing I've ever been to. And I always think of him as I look at conferences like this year going, Oh, mate, you must be so sad again. Yeah. And there there was a quote a quote from a you know an, a late, an official Labour source quoting it
2: um, quoted in the Guardian saying yes, yeah, fantastic, all the tossers in t-shirts are gone, and what they're basically saying is it's great democracy. No, we've 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 clamped down on democracy in the party. Don't worry, the people who believe in things they're gone, but us, the pragmatic uh, friends of business, are here. So, like you say, BAE, you've nothing to worry about uh, as long as you put a Union Jack on the drones
0: fantastic. Yeah, it's really bleak. It's really bleak. And I mean... You yeah, know, I haven't just,
2: done many jokes. It's not been a lot of jokes so
0: far. No, it <laughs> you, it, no you don't need to... Um, uh, I should say, you don't need to do jokes in this bit. This is, yeah. you know... I, I is, is the, the way in which it sort of seemed, uh, I suppose, press-wise or even just sort of watching from a distance is the Conservatives, as you say, seem like a total and utter mess and Labour seem to be having a Labour moment. But, I mean, is is it... Is it really that way? I mean, I think I think we could probably correct in saying that the Conservatives are a total mess. That bit seems absolutely right.
2: I, uh, the, yeah, the Conservatives are a, an abject mess, but it's worth saying, you know, that have we forgotten 1992? 1992, where everyone assumed that the, the Tory party were, or were definitely going, there was no way that they could win the election again. You know, Labour soaring ahead in the polls and then they lost. You know, the the thing with the thing with Labour, I I think, is that is that, um, you know, Starmer's whole attitude to this is we just need to not to make any mistakes and we will win. And that he's I don't see a party that's offering saying we have a different vision. You know, when you hear Rachel Reeve saying the problem is they're just not deporting enough people. It to me, it's it's. It's just about a change of colour, of a change of, um, you know, of branding on the government, but saying, oh, we'll do the same things. We'll just be much more efficient. Don't worry. We will uh, we'll, we'll be as cruel, but more efficiently cruel. And we saw that, you know, the worry. The other worry that I have is all these people getting very excited about the prospect of a, of a huge majority Labour government seem to forget what happened. In that first um, Blair administration, which was business had flooded back to the Labour Party uh, before before that 97 election. And we had a series of scandals about patronage in that that uh, in the following years, you know, the Hinduja brothers getting their passports sorted out by Peter Mandelson, um, the Bernie Eccleston F1 stuff. Right now, what we need is if we're pretty certain that Labour will be the next government, we don't need, as is happening now, um, a a good swathe of the press going and saying, not really um, looking carefully at what Starmer is doing and what uh, the Starmer's Labour Party are doing. There should be more scrutiny on them if they are going to be the next government than going, oh, fantastic, they'll probably have a huge majority
0: I mean, you know, one of your one of the things you're so brilliant at is absolutely going through all the all the press coverage, as you mentioned, and, and really scrutinising it. It was interesting how we just got the headlines about Labour. They're going to have a big new green uh, energy company that's going to be publicly owned. And it was only when you look into it, like the small print, like the little bit they do on a mortgage advert or something, it was like, oh, no, it won't be a supplier. It'll just be an investment company and it'll work with the other big in- energy companies. And you go, oh, that actually sounds really like it isn't what we need
2: yeah it's basically an investment bank it'll it'll just it'll de-risk s- some investments for private companies basically um but it was framed in the press as a as a you know a, a nationalized energy company like you say like yeah that's a problem that's a huge problem like okay there may be you know you there's probably people can make arguments for why that's a good idea i don't think it is but there were probably arguments you can make for that. But we have the same issue with, um, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg announcing that there'll be a um, that they're going to have a fusion power uh, power plant, um, uh, prototype fusion power plant ready by uh, 2025. But when you get into, uh, you know, putting energy into the grid, but when you look into it, you go, actually, um, the science on this is not is is not sort of fixed yet we we're not really certain that's going to happen but it's just reported um in local and national media as oh there'll be a a a fusion power plant by 2025 and you go well this is a huge issue you know you're telling people this as if it's actually going to happen of course there are loads of good science reporters who tell you otherwise but they're not the ones writing the political stories you know and these things don't connect up
0: I mean that that's always been that's been the case for a very long time now, isn't it? In That the people who are the experts in this um, are never the ones that get to have a voice on it. It's it's we've just had a thing in the in the news today uh, that I've just been catching up on, but about the whole big fifteen million uh, pound initiative to help people reduce their energy costs that Liz Trust has decided not to go along with uh, because it might actually be helpful and it's not that expensive. Um, and and again, it's it's, it's it, it, there's there's no sort of expert knowledge that's coming into any of this and there's no expert knowledge that's being kind of checked on any of this it's but it's 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 sort of right back to i suppose what michael gove said years ago isn't it that we've just we just seem to ignore all the people that um genuinely know what to do yeah we've
2: we've we've had enough of experts except you know michael gove now uh doing another one of his he he is so like I, i i too often i use professional wrestling as a metaphor for um (laughs)
0: <laughs> for, for
2: british politics and the media but like michael gove is currently engaged in another one of his um face turns where now he's now sort of creating himself into this hero who says oh the government shouldn't be doing this it's very bad you know and you think oh and there's any simon jenkins in the guardian yesterday saying oh yeah um what we really what the t- tories really need to do is replace liz truss with a unifying figure like michael gove and You think this man sniffing glue uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. You, you know, we seem to have a professional media class whose whose memories last about two months. That's as far as they can remember back,
0: which is incredible. I mean, but isn't isn't that what um, the government hope? Well, I mean, this is this is another question, really. And that you know, I, I sort of I'm constantly uh, baffled as to whether or not the government are unbelievably stupid or. All of this is carefully planned so that they get sort of self benefit from it um and or or is it possible that it's somehow sort of both things but I do wonder part of it is just this assumption that the general public have a uh, memory that lasts all of five minutes um especially because the press seems to to go along with that but e- even the fact that like, you know with, with all the banker bailing um bankers out once again it's like do, do, does no one remember twelve years ago fourteen years ago is it, have we all just forgotten it you know it's 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 quite amazing that um There's just this assumption that no one has a memory that that lasts very long.
2: I think the government is a little bit like Wiley Coyote, where he's, you know, he's trying to lay the road in front of him so he doesn't fall into the canyon. Like, they're not... I I don't think it's... I, I think... There's this big mistake where people do sort of assume that there are these great Machiavellian um, plans and schemes going on. I think a lot of times they are just panicking and trying to come up with something to do next. Obviously, there are some things where you look at it and go, well, it's that is highly dubious, like, you know, the crashing of the pound mm. and, you know... Um, uh, the currency sh- speculators doing very well out of that and those currency speculators also being massive donors to the Tories you know it, it doesn't require a murder board on the wall you know pinning the 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 bits of string <laughs> together to say okay well there's something there but um a lot of times like it's like this stuff with Liz Truss wearing that dress to come uh, to, to for her conference speech and um you know, it being brought up by Russell T Davies. Oh, look, this is quite like the dress that Emma Thompson wore in years and years. Well, yeah, but Liz Truss has been wearing dresses like that before years and years was ever filmed. So it's more like well done to the wardrobe uh, department on years and years for doing, you know, good research and picking a dress that a senior female Tory politician might wear, you know. Um, So I think we've got a bit too much kind of Queen's brooch uh analysis type um thinking from some people when it comes to the government because i, I don't think that they're i th- i i think that they're sort of stupid in particular ways clever in particular ways and cruel in in a pretty um
0: coherent way yeah it, it always strikes me sort of a lot of it is simple sort of arrogance and knowing that they've got the power to push things through Rather than a, a, a as you say, a sort of clever plan that they've actually thought about.
2: Yeah, if it was a if it was a clever plan, they would not be so quick to to turn to to U-turn on it. For instance, like if it yeah. was a clever plan, they'd stick to it. If it was a clever plan, it might work, you know. Um, but of course, the Tory party has shown itself forever to be incredibly resilient and capable of of rebranding and reshaping itself. It's you know, it's why. Um, you know, it's why Labour only had 14 years out of the past 43 in government. So, you know.
0: And is that you you mentioned it earlier about, you know, looking back to 1992, and I've seen other people say uh, that we're in a similar situation to 2013, where it looked like the Tories were really low in the polls. I suppose it'd been coalition then. And of course, Labour still lost in 2015. Are are, are you thinking that the Conservatives are... Are going to be done in into uh, as a party in terms of next election that's what we're being told at the moment with all the polls are showing such a majority for labour that that you know the conservatives may not even be a party anymore apparently
2: i I think the likelihood of it being the a route on such a scale that the Tories are no longer a party is is not i think that that is really overblown i i think i think it has to be the case that the Tories have been in power for for so long now that the power of time for a change will be, uh, you know, too much to stop. And also the fact that, you know, talking to Tories, a lot of them are saying, oh, well, we need a time in opposition to sort of rebuild now. Like a lot of them are pretty much, you know, resigned to it. But look, I think probably predictions are a mugs game, aren't they? When you look at the weirdness of British politics, um, it's like, British politics has always been really weird, but I think it has been accelerating in weirdness um, since about 2010. You know, getting more and more weird, and the cycles of um, of, of what's going on are getting shorter. Like we sh- we shed our way through prime ministers now, at an incredible rate. Um, so yeah, I think it, I, I I'm I'm so cautious to you know I think you know. Probably Labour will win the next election, but you know it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't, because we sort of live in the kind of worst version of the banter timeline.
0: Yeah, yeah, and as you say, you sort of said earlier as well, they are they are just doing nothing in the hope that the conservatives will kind of completely destroy themselves, and they can. It's a bit you know like winning a race because everyone else has keeled over. It's and, and it's, it does feel like they're not really working very hard to get into a winning position it's just going to be all that we're we're left with
2: yeah and i find it really uh, the thing that i really hate about particularly on twitter is if you say something that criticizes labor now you get oh so do you want the tories to stay in government and and my my answer is always no but i want a i want a government that's different to the government we currently have and if i'm not convinced that the labor party will do that just saying just continuing to just agree and nod and say, oh, well, they'll, they'll be better. They will probably do a bit more investment than the Tories, probably. But I remember being a teenager in the Blair years, and there was a, and that was a government that hated young people. Absolutely despised young people, had serious, right, very right wing domestic policies when it came to law and order. You know, people, again, have seemed to have forgotten the times where we were having news stories where they were suggesting that they might bring in, you know, a situation where you could be marched to a cash point to pay fines. And that was the era of the you know, the mosquito device in shops getting it's getting being really keen, you know, and people could talk about Sure Start, which obviously was an an amazing and important thing. And it would be great if we um, looked after people and and made sure that people had better support with their children, particularly in the early years. That was a great thing, obviously. But, you know, the era of Asbos, all that kind of stuff, I can see it coming back because you've got in the Labour shadow cabinet, people saying, oh, well, what we need to do is we need to crack down on on um, anti-social behaviour again and all this kind of thing without making any connections to poverty, uh, lack of uh, lack of opportunity, all of these kind of things. We're getting back. We, we, we will have a government who wants to do the same kind of authoritarian stuff that the Tories do, but promises to be more efficient with it. And of course, I'm going to say I don't think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, of course. And I mean, you know, I suppose it's also always th- we're thinking that because Keir Starmer was, um, uh, what was his official job title there? Director of Public um, Prosecution. Director of Public Prosecution during the Tottenham riots. And there were kids prosecuted for nicking a pair of trainers for, which is so pathetic. Or well, worse than that, though,
2: nick for nicking bottled water.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is, serious uh, custodial sentences for that. Wow, horrendous. Really horrendous. It's 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 funny it's was sort of interesting um going on a slight tangent here but i don't if you've sort of seen all the stuff from the us this week of like joe biden's going to get pardons for everyone uh, that's had prior convictions for possessions of marijuana it it suddenly it feels like america's being almost more progressive than the labor party might be if they come in
2: yeah there's absolutely no chance that starmer would do that not a chance no, there isn't, in hell isn't there? Not at all. and this is the problem for me is it, i think it does come back to And and particularly, you know, on the day that we hear again that it it, that uh, Paul Dacre is going to get his peerage is that that we still have a Labour Party who is terrified of the Daily Mail. We've got a we've got a, 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 you know, an opposition that's terrified of the Daily Mail, terrified of the Daily Telegraph, really wants to fulfil the desires of those papers. But, you know, we don't have a Tory party that's terrified of the Guardian or the or the Daily Mirror, partly because those papers are pretty reactionary in their own way. But this is we, we will never move leftwards as a country or never move more socially democratic as a country if we continue to have a, a, a political class that are so terrified of these right wing papers and those right wing papers that then you know, have a huge influence on the broadcast media because fewer people are reading them. But, you know, listen to the Today programme of a morning and what drives their agenda is very closely matched to what drives the editorial agenda of the Mail.
0: And is is that the only reason that they should have to be scared of them? Because, like you said, not many people are reading them anymore. It really doesn't feel like the power is there with newspapers that used to be even 10 years ago um so is it simply in the way that they they influence other journalism and, and probably due to kind of the lack of money and other journalism that simply copy and paste stories from elsewhere
2: yeah i think so i mean also look the mail the mail is increase you know increasingly grow, grow is growing fast online and is is massive online so the mail is still a very powerful force in that respect and uh but i also think almost there's a weird kind of um uh, kind of like an uh, almost uh, psychological nostalgia amongst uh particularly labor politicians who they sort of want to do blairism again and part of doing blairism <laughs> was getting the media on side at least for a while and doing that by offering policies that you know that the media in, in uh, were, were keen on uh, particularly the right wing media were keen on and we know you know we know now from the Blair era that there were even occasions where policy announcements were planned out in a calendar so that the sun was shouting for them all week and then at the end of the week the Labour party, you know the Labour government revealed that that policy was happening.
0: Right. Um,
2: so you know uh, that's the thing for me I, I almost think it's a yeah I do think it's a weird nostalgia thing almost and, and a, mis, a misunderstanding of how things half could be you know it, it, it's not it, I think it's possible now it would be possible now to get elected as a government if you didn't have the sun and the mail on your side I think it's actually possible but these people are just too afraid to try and obviously the Corbyn era suggests to them uh you know that that it wouldn't work because of those reasons um of what happened to Jeremy Corbyn but of course Jeremy Corbyn is a very particular example uh, of a politician um, and a very particular sort of setup.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, you know, so much to say, looking back on that, how, just how much Brexit was uh, was important in that election, which we're not going through now and it won't be an issue. I mean, we are, we're still going through it. We're going to be going through it forever, but in terms of the next election, it's not going to be a Brexit election.
2: No, I think the Tories might attempt to make it one again. I think they'll pretend that, that Keir Starmer will... Uh, will take us back into Europe or whatever, but uh, Starmer's not going to do anything like that. Starmer's not going to do anything radical, basically. No. I just don't believe that. Um, I, I, and, you know, he's not terrifying because he's a creature of the establishment, because he's Sir Keir Starmer, former director of public prosecutions.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: We- you know, the in the Daily Telegraph the other day, uh, in, in in his um, his uh, sketch about the, the, the conference, um, obviously Tim Stanley... Uh, Bowtie fan uh, builder fairer extraordinaire was 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 you know highly critical of Labour but at the end of it he said but the thing is you know they seem nice now and I'm not afraid of them and if they become become the government I wouldn't be scared you know so we got to that point yeah which must I'm sure the Labour Party are delighted about but that's a, I, I think. I think uh, Tim Stanley should be worried by a Labour government, yeah. frankly, if it was well, the kind was, of yeah, Labour government I wanted. The
0: praising of, like, well, Nick, former Conservative MP Nick Bowles, says he'd support Labour. And it's like, well, I don't want someone who advocated austerity uh, and, you know, wanted to cut welfare now being happy with the idea of a Labour government. That that doesn't fill me with uh, confidence about them, if his values are going to be seen in that. You know, it's you don't really want someone who former it, Conservatives are going to think, oh, yeah, these guys will do.
2: Yeah, you're right. I think I think one of the, the the things that I've really disliked again over the past 10, 12 years is this idea that Labour MPs and Tory MPs should be friends or get on with each other. And and I, I think I think obviously you can expect a level of of like just um, decorum or like people not like spitting at each other in the halls or whatever, but that a Labour MP should not find it easy uh, to be you know, cl- good friends with a Tory MP. That shouldn't be possible. No. Like You're letting down your constituent if you have a solidarity with a political class over solidarity for your, for your constituents. That's what you should be there to do. And there should be a de- demonstrable difference between a Labour MP and a Tory MP. And if there isn't, that's a problem. It's the same issue I have with the ease that there is. Of someone going to, uh, to uh, who's been working at the Daily Mail, for instance, to go and work at the New Statesman, or has been working at the Guardian to go and work at the Daily Mail, or vice versa, the, the, that shouldn't be so easy. There should be some steps in between. Otherwise, um, it's just a game, isn't it? Yeah, like you don't actually believe anything.
0: Yeah, well, you've got no conviction. It doesn't. Your, your own beliefs don't happen. Don't matter at all. It's simply the paycheck, isn't it? Which is. Yeah, it's really bleak. It's really bleak. I mean, how how much you know because I think one of the things that you're you're so fantastic at doing on your uh conquest of the Substack um is you're you're really good at uh, like you have done in this conversation bringing up things from twelve years ago that I that I can barely remember. I I was criticizing the public's memory earlier, but I am also really bad with the news cycle as it is remembering things. Um, but how you're also very good at kind of following political donations and think tank support and looking at where the press is kind of favoring parties over what and and how much should we all be doing that more and and with the way things are is it giving you a kind of clear idea of where things are heading
2: uh i don't think other people should be doing it more because uh a i've got a niche i need to keep (laughs) it uh and b it's psychologically (laughs) very damaging it's like being able to remember is a curse um really but um no, should we do more of it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, the thing that I talk about a lot and I, I think is a huge issue is the notion of, um, you know, media studies as a Mickey Mouse subject. Uh, I That was really um, heavily pushed during the late major era into the early um, Blair era. It was this idea that media studies was a pointless subject and, and we didn't need to bother with that. And I, I do think people should look more at the news sources there. They're um, consuming and ask bigger questions about, you know, well, why why am I getting presented these particular people? I mean, you could just look at it from. You know, watch um, watch two or three editions of Politics Live across a week, see how many. Of the panelists, you would see as, as being from right wing think tanks or uh, a right wing position versus a left wing position, and look at how often um, think tanks are described as left wing uh, when they're when they're presented versus how often right wing think tanks are described as right wing when they're introduced on the show, and and there is a disparity. Um, you know, I I, I think it, uh, another thing today is that David Dimbleby's been saying a lot now he's left the BBC. And he was saying, you know, the BBC is too scared to talk about um, real questions around royalty, like their tax affairs and their relationships to despotic regimes and stuff like that. And you think, well, good on him for saying it now. But, you know, he's been in the BBC for his entire life. Um, You know, David didn't be one of the earliest nepotism babies in the British media. Um, And he's saying it now, but it's like yeah, he's saying it now after all those years of having the paycheck, those of us who've been saying it not with the uh, benefit of being uh, paid handsomely by the BBC uh, get called conspiracy theorists a lot for saying stuff like that. So yeah, more analysis. I don't know. I feel like I've gone on a very long, a uh, long journey away from the your initial question there, but yes. Yeah. I, people should pay more attention.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I, I think it's interesting you said about David. I felt very similarly to when Emily Maitlis, uh, kind of did her, did her big reveal of she's left the BBC and actually they're so controlling and they don't let you say things you go you've you've been there eight you could have done this before you could have left before you got a really big podcast deal um yeah exactly you know? and now it's
2: in your interest to criticize the BBC in order to you know promote global yeah uh, which and again this one drives me crazy and and, and you know James James O'Brien Follows me on Twitter, um, is a subscriber to my newsletter. Very appreciative of that. But um, the thing that I find very annoying there is he he offers these views that are very. It's like a warm bath for the lib- for the liberal mindset, right? Of like, oh look at James O'Brien, he's he's taken this apart. But James O'Brien's lead-in man every morning is Nick Ferrari. Yeah. You know, who who is, again, also another nepotism child. His father owned a a news agency. That is how he got into British journalism. But there you go. Um, And Nick Ferrari's a a, a horrendous, horrendous, uh, distorting um, influence on on politics and and just pouring out these right wing talking points every morning. And somehow we're meant to think, well, oh, it's great because James O'Brien's on afterwards and that fixes it. It's just crazy to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's mad. It's a bit of me that sort of sees it as—is it that James O'Brien thinks he can be the left-wing voice that breaks up that like LBC is horrendously right-wing pretty much the entire rest of the day? But then I think, why would you want to be associated with that station in in the first place? That's, yeah, that's and the
2: other thing way. to re- the other thing to remember about James O'Brien, uh, uh, and again, like God, he's not the worst person in the world, and like you know, he says a lot of things that are correct, but just before he came to LBC, he was, he presented a short-lived ITV show called O'Brien on TV, which was a kind of Kilroy style, um, you know, uh, uh, trollingly framed right-wing topics every show, uh, you know, with him in a suit and very clean-shaven and looking very mean. And now he's, you know, the kind of scruffy bearded uh, left-wing guy. And it's like, you know, he started out at the Express. Now, of course, it doesn't mean I think everything he said, uh, that he doesn't believe the things he says now. But this is just, this. you know, it's very easy um, to make these transitions in the British media and then be, be, expect nobody to bring up things you said in the past. Like, I... Used to be a contracted writer for the Daily Telegraph, right, and wrote for their comment pages. And I've talked extensively about why I regret doing that, why I think that was a bad thing, you know, what? how that distort, how you're forced to um, perform a certain role, you know, as a sort of token center leftish person. And I've gone progressively move more left as I've gone on. And actually, you know, quite good that a lot of younger people on the left have been very you know welcoming to me with that because i've been willing to say here's stuff i thought in the past or did or or wrote in the past and why it was incorrect you know but the expectation with other people is you're just meant to pretend they never did those things
0: yeah it's not so much because, because i think there's um this idea that we we don't let people change or we don't let people uh you know, as, as on Twitter is, is a very good place for dredging up things that people tweeted 12 years ago or whatever. Yeah, this and, and you. You know, um, but but at the same time, it is fine to let people change, but they have to, as you say, have to acknowledge what they did and at least say, that was me. It's not anymore. That's, you know, and I'm sorry about it, but, you know, I have changed now, whereas as you, there's a lot of people that just seem to carry on as though it never happened. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I, I think that... Uh, I I think that we have to allow for change and we and and you will never, you will never bring people into your uh, political tradition if you're not willing to to let that change happen. But yeah, people got to work for it. Do the work.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really important. Oh well, thanks, uh, thanks, tons for being on the show this week. And, and actually, do you know what? One more question for asking last one. How do you, you mentioned earlier that it it does sort of uh, completely crumble your sanity uh, doing your substack? And I find it just tweeting about politics and doing this podcast that there are moments where I go, I need to not watch the news for like two weeks. Otherwise, I think I'm going to just lose it. How do you, how do you keep yourself going um, through this kind of intense, um, just sort of scanning of of the news every day that you do? Um.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I do, to be honest. Um, I'm like, as, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking down uh, at like piles of newspapers around me, and and I think probably that it's sort of like being surrounded by grimoires or something in you know, in like some fantasy thing. These like uh, books full of dark energy. Um, yeah, I don't know really. Uh, it's a sort of um, Sisyphean curse I put on myself. Um, I guess one of the things that's really good is that uh, the newsletter gets some quite good feedback. I do a daily Twitch show um, called the Paper Thing, uh, at 1 p.m. on most uh, lunch times in the week, and there's a there's a, like a small but very uh, committed audience for that show, and it just um, it's just night nice. that's fun. Um, there's jokes and just making jokes and and like having that community on Twitter and having that community around the newsletter and stuff. That helps because it's like well you feel like you're not alone and you know there's good feedback from it and to be honest the newsletter is the most um well-received thing I've ever done in my career it might not be the most lucrative or you know uh, go the furthest but the people who read it really like it and I get something from that so I guess that's what it I guess that's it really
0: yeah, definitely helps. It's, it's a fantastic newsletter. I really enjoy reading it. Um and you know, I wanted to the question that I ask all the guests on this is, you know, apart from apart from your newsletter, apart from your Twitch, apart from your Twitter, um, uh, what other are, are there other sort of writers, journalists, websites that you'd recommend people follow for what you consider to be actually useful and independent political insight? Who who do you go to? Um, let's see. Well, I like I, I
2: like um I like Adam Biankoff. He he's he he takes a much more sort of... He, he's more sort of straight look at things than I do, but um, he, he writes a, a lot of good stuff. Um, he has a newsletter called Folded, which is good. He also writes for uh, Byline Times, uh, which I used to write for a bit. Um, what else do I like? I, I like... Um, not in politics, but I like... Uh, if, if you want something that will be sort of help you not have to think about politics the new queue which is um the the newsletter that is uh, run by the guys who were on the last editorial team of q magazine which i wrote for in the past worked for in the past that their, their newsletter is good um and yeah tons of people I, I, a lot of streamers i enjoy like uh, there's a guy called um uh, senan cozy who i like uh, on the left he's good um yes yeah, ton of pe- ton of good people but yeah, uh, um, look at their stuff uh, and read fewer newspapers. <laughs> that's that's my that's my uh, there you go. That's my recommendation.
0: Thanks tons to Mick for that great chat and putting up with my cold, addled brain asking questions. Uh, Do follow him on Twitter at BrokenBottleBoy and sign up to his Substack Conquest of the Useless, as it's an excellent read every single week. Obviously, if you can do a paid subscription, that actually helps him live and keep doing it as well. I've popped a link in the pod blurb, so check that out and check out his regular Twitch streams too. Um, Also, thanks to Marie, who tagged us both into a tweet recently, which reminded me that I've been meaning to ask Mick to do this for years and years and years. So uh, really appreciate that too. What other people shall I ask questions at, well, hopefully not 90% Lemset max? What other subjects shall I try to recall as I simultaneously work as a snot factory? Let me know, and you can do that by dropping me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. And that's it for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. If this podcast keeps you from simply walking to the sea and swimming till you hit any land other than here, then sorry, I should probably stop making them for your sake and do mind the poo on your way to a better life. If, however, you actually like this show, then please recommend it to other people who aren't the worst, give it a review on Apple Podcasts or similar pod homes, and if you can, please donate to the Ko-fi or Patreon too. Thanks lots and lots to Acast, my brother Last skeptic and Cat Day, and this will be back next week when Liz Truss announces her allies in the Growth Coalition are some herbicides and giving children cigarettes from the age of three. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Anti-Growth from Tories, the new remedy for anyone wishing to instantly lose their erections. Sick of being aroused? Tired of pitching trouser tents? Anti-Growth from the Tories works immediately by bringing up a random photo of any of their 249 MPs, and you'll never ever feel lust again. An instant extinguisher of any fires of passion. Anti-Growth by Tories, reducing population any way they can. <laughs>